0: Thank you for joining me each week. Today, I want to share with you um, a couple of books that I am reading. I'm always reading usually one business book and one self-help book. And currently, uh, one of my favorite books that I've read twice now is I'm So Effing Tired by Amy Shaw. So I listened to this on audio one day when I was thinking, why am I so effing tired? And it is this beautiful book that puts all the science into one place. And it discusses the relationship between your gut, your immune system, and your hormones. It is truly an amazing book. I cooked out of it this last weekend. I'm loving it. It is the only place I've ever really seen all the science put together in one place. My husband is on the other side of the room, rolling his eyes because he's been studying this stuff for years (laughs) and Um, It is the only place that I've seen how to sync intermittent fasting with your menstrual cycle. So maybe we should even do a whole episode on that or invite Amy Shaw to come on herself. The other book I'm reading right now is Donald Miller's new book, um, Hero on a Mission. So, okay, on to today's episode. Today, January is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. And so we're going to be talking about all of the facts around cervical cancer because each year in the U.S., approximately 13 Thousand women are diagnosed with cervical cancer, and more than 4,000 die as a result. Now, you can imagine this disease takes an even greater toll when we look at it globally in places where access to healthcare is limited. But there are ways to prevent cervical cancer. So I want to talk about what cervical cancer screening is and kind of how we can um, take care of our cervical health. How can we keep our cervix fit? One of the first questions says, well, what is cervical cancer screening exactly? Cervical cancer screening is used to find changes in the cells of the cervix that could lead to cancer. So screening includes cervical cytology. So that's the pap test or the pap smear and testing for human papillomavirus, or both. Well, how does cervical cancer occur? The cervix is the opening of the uterus. It's located at the top of the vagina. It's covered by a thin layer of tissue made of two two types of cells. One is the skin-like cells called the squamous cells, and the second, the glandular cells that produce the mucus of the cervix. And cancer can occur when the cervical cells become abnormal and over time grow out of control. So the cancer cells invade deeper into the cervical tissue and in advanced cases, it can spread to other organs of the body. We know that HPV is what causes cervical cancer. So what is this human papillomavirus that we talk about? Um, We know that human papillomavirus enters the cervical cells and can cause them to change. And there are so many types of HPV and an estimated 80% of sexually active people will have HPV at some point in their lives. So we have to stop the stigma around HPV. It is the most common sexually transmitted infection. It is possible to be infected and have absolutely no symptoms. There's no way to find out how long a particular infection has been present or trace it back to a particular partner. An HPV diagnosis only means that a person contacted an HPV infection at some point in their life, but not that your current partner necessarily gave it to you or cheated on you or anything of that nature. And HPV doesn't only affect the genital area. It can cause um, cervical cancer, vulvar and vaginal cancer, precancerous lesions genital warts, anal cancer, throat cancer, and cancer to the back of the mouth. What does all this mean? We know how we screen for cervical cancer. We know um, from previous episodes, if you've listened before about the difference between a pap smear and a pelvic exam, they are two different things. If you've been to the ER, you had a pelvic exam. You did not have a pap smear. A pap smear is a particular swab of the cells that is done during a pelvic exam, if that makes sense, where the speculum is placed in, open to visualize the cervix, and that swab of cells has been taken. Okay, one of the big questions is, um, that I get a lot is, does HPV always lead to cervical cancer? Only a small number of patients with high risk types of HPV will get cervical cancer. Because of the body's natural ability to fight infection, most HPV infections go away on their own. These short-term infections typically cause only mild or low-grade changes in cervical cells. The cells typically will go back to normal as the HPV infection clears. There's a small set of patients where HPV does not go away. And if the HPV infection lasts for a long time, then it's described as persistent. And when it's persistent with the high-risk type of HPV, it can lead to these high-grade changes, precancerous changes in the cervical cells. Especially if high-grade changes persist over one or two years, they're more likely to become cancer if they're not treated. So this is why we want to Screen. We want to test early. Factors such as cigarette smoking, a weakened immune system, and an infection with HIV are thought to increase our chances of HPV infection that will persist. We know that cervical cancer screening saves lives. Over the past thirty years in the U.S., the number of cancers, cervical cancer cases and deaths, has decreased by half. I want that to sink in, friends. By half. That is huge that in the past 30 years, we have made that kind of stride in cervical cancer prevention. This is mainly the result of getting your regular cervical cancer screening. What does that mean, right? Because at all ages and different stages, this has changed. It used to be that we're getting our annual pap end of story. And some patients are still really tied to having their annual pap. So, I want to walk you through um, how we do cervical cancer screening. Okay. There are new updated guidelines, and there was some controversy over this. I don't know if you remember last year, we did a big campaign for Don't Take Away My Pap. Um, and now several organizations, including the American College of OBGYN, the Society of Gynecologic Oncology, and ASCCP, and the United States Task Force with several cancer screening recommendations have all come together to update their screening guidelines and adopted these guidelines that I'm not sure I'm wild about. I'll, I'll kind of give you my opinion here. Um, but essentially um, screening begins at the age of 21. Age 21 to 29 years of age, you get your PAP smear alone. Now, if your PAP smear is normal, beautiful. If it's abnormal, then it gets reflexed and we find out what your if HP, high risk HPB is present. Okay. And then here's where it gets a little bit tricky. So after the age of 30 you can do any of the following types of screening. So there's three options. One is your pap alone every three years. Two is FDA approved primary high-risk HPV testing alone every five years. Number three is co-testing high-risk HPV testing and cytology in the pap smear. So you'll get your HPV test and your pap smear every five years the third choice is my favorite. I like co-testing. That's what we call high-risk HPV plus PAP. That is definitely my favorite for women ages 30 to 65. Now you say, "Oh, why did you say 65, Dr. Moyers? Because no screening is necessary after the age of 65, if you've had adequate negative prior screening results. So what does that mean? Adequate negative prior screening test results is defined as if in the previous 10 years, you have had three consecutive negative pap smears or two consecutive negative pap and HPV tests. So the co-testing pap plus HPV. And if you had a hysterectomy at any point in your life with removal of the cervix, then there's no screening necessary for these individuals. If you've never had a history of high grade cervical precancerous lesions or cervical cancer, if you've had a history of high risk, abnormal pap smears or cervical cancer, then your screening is completely different. But if you had a hysterectomy with the cervix removed for benign reasons with no history of previous abnormal pap smears or cervical cancer, then you don't have to have pap smears anymore. So that's kind of exciting, right? Um, just to, to know what the guidelines are, to know what the recommendations are, and kind of understand um, where they're coming from. You may be asking yourself, well, um, wh- why is it not recommended yearly anymore? The research over the past decades show that there's no overall advantage to having yearly pap smears over having your pap test every three years. I know it blows everybody's mind. Women who have yearly screening undergo more follow-up tests and treatments for what turns out not to be cancer than women who have testing every three years. So what are the follow-up tests? Colposcopy, cervical biopsy, different treatment options, such as a leap, a loop, electrosurgical excision procedure or invasive procedures that can be uncomfortable and it increases anxiety and we're not getting more diagnoses. So we want to balance, you know, avoiding these unnecessary procedures with adequate screening. And so that's why these new guidelines have come into play. So why is cervical cancer screening recommended even if you're not having sex? In rare cases, HPV can be spread by genital contact without sexual intercourse. So this may be same sex um, partners, this may be um, oral sex. So one of the big questions I get a lot is, do I still need to see my OB-GYN every year if cervical cancer screening is no longer recommended? And this is a big yes for me. I think that it's important um, to have regular routine visits. Could this be with your primary care doctor? Sure. If you're getting a comprehensive health visit, I think that that's wonderful. I just don't want you to to miss that it's been three years, right? So everyone go check and see when your last pap smear was. Are you due for a pap smear? You can give us a call at Sky Women's Health and we'll get you scheduled. But these visits with your ob are an opportunity for you to learn more about how to prepare for pregnancy or discuss your birth control options or to address menopause issues or vulvar health. Um, I can't tell you the number of times that I've noticed um, changes to the vulvar skin that might need a biopsy um, and found other diagnoses such as ligand sclerosis. So your ob can also help you to identify diabetes or heart disease and get you sent to the right provider. So I want to go back to HPV. To talk a little bit about the HPV vaccine because this is really remarkable. It is a cancer preventing vaccine. It is amazing. It's one of the best ways to prevent your infection from HIV is the vaccine. The HPV vaccine protects against the HPV types that are the most common cause of cancer pre-cancer and genital warts and in October of 2018 the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved the HPV vaccine for ages 27 to 45. The vaccine was already approved for those ages 9 to 26 years of age. The vaccine is safe and effective in preventing new HPV infections in this age group so the 27 year to 45 year old. HPV infection um, If if you're already infected with a, a, sorry, I'm twisting my words today. If you already have a strand of HPV, a certain type of HPV, um, then the vaccine does not cure, but it may protect you against other types of HPV included in the vaccine that you haven't been infected with. Um, the vaccine is a series of shots, so if it's given before the age of 15, it's two-shot series, um, given six to 12 months apart, and if it's given after the age of 15, it requires three injections. The vaccine works best for a person before exposure to HPV, and that's why um, it is given or is recommended for girls and boys, at de- ideally around ages 11 to 12. This does not increase promiscuity. It is part of the vaccine schedule. Are there other ways to protect you against the human papilloma virus other than the vaccine? And the answer is yes. Limit the number of sexual partners because more partners in your lifetime equals more risk. And use male or female condoms to reduce risk of infection from the skin-to-skin contact. The purpose of a pap smear is to prevent and detect early cervical cancer. The incidence of cervical cancer in the United States has decreased by 50% in the past 30 years because of widespread screening. Do technologies for cervical cancer screening continue to evolve and as the recommendations do uh, for managing those results. In addition, there are different risk benefits considerations for women at different ages, as we've talked about with the age-specific screening. And most cases of cervical cancer occur in women who were either never screened or screened inadequately. So please get your cervical cancer screening to help keep your cervix fit. If you're eligible for the HPV vaccine, get your vaccination. This can be done through your ob through your health department, through your pediatrician, depending on your age and where you are. These recommendations apply to individuals with the cervix who don't have any signs or symptoms of cervical cancer, regardless of their sexual history or HPV vaccination status, okay? They do not apply to individuals at high risk of the disease, such as somebody who has had a diagnosis of high-grade precancerous cervical lesions. They don't apply to individuals who've been exposed in utero to something called DES or who have compromised immune system, such as somebody with HIV infection. Okay. So I just want to make sure that we're clear on those screening guidelines. And remember that the cervical cancer options have expanded cervical cytology, which is your pap smear, your primary high-risk HPV testing and co-testing are all effective in detecting cervical cancer. The most important inadequate cervical cancer screening remains a significant problem in the United States. And this is definitely seen when there's inequities across the entire uh, spectrum for cervical cancer care. And um, This reminds me of the National Breast and Cervical Cancer Early Detection Program. You can see if your community has this. Um, I have seen this in action in a rural community and it is a lifesaver, but the program is across the US. And it it funds low income, uninsured and underinsured women and helps them to get access to timely breast and cervical cancer screening. Again, that's called the National Breast and Cervical Cancer Early Detection Program. All right, friends, I hope that you have found this informative. Go ahead and leave me a comment if you have found this helpful, if you've been curious about the guidelines and why the guidelines are seem to have changed so much in the last 10 years, because they are continually evolving. Until next week, be well. with a neuromusculoskeletal medicine fellowship, I help you realign with hands on drug free treatment and relieve pain on the spot without medication. We'll help you maintain these results through your pregnancy and postpartum period. Every pregnant person deserves this, and we are so excited to serve you. You can find us on our website, as mentioned, or on social at Sky Women's Health, or you can call the office at 817 915 9803. That's it for today. Until next week, be well.